Well, Becca's in here mad stressed because we only have uh, like 20 or 25 minutes for an episode. So, uh, <laughs> but, you know, you all should be able to get this in in your uh, quick trip to the grocery store to get a vegetable to cook for dinner. Anyway, this is Fred. Uh, Fred Curtis here. I always get this thing messed up. I guess I'm a political strategist and writer and activist um, over at uh, CTK Strategies and Relentless Love. We have Becca Nyberg, our wonderful co-host, who is an immigration attorney and political strategist. So her titles are down pat. Mine are a little more uh, ambiguous. Becca, what a lovely day. How are thou? Yeah, a little cold for me, but at least it's sunny. <laughs> so, and uh, I, I started this monster of a topic, so I, uh, or suggested it, so I guess I should introduce it. But, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Electoral College right now. So, um, you know, I think we would be a bit remiss if we didn't start talking about the Electoral College a little bit. Um, and, you know, I want to just jump right in. Fred wants to kind of go through some history, (laughs) which I do think is, I do think it's important. You know, I mean, history is always important, but, you know, especially because of the way that I want to go about discussing this topic, I do think that the history behind it, and not that Fred knows what I want to talk about, but besides (laughs) electoral college, which was literally the two words that I wrote to him. Uh, but you know, yes. I think the history of it di- does make sense. And starting, you know, what was it called? The Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia and how the Electoral College ended up with, you know, as a compromise and nobody was happy. I mean, do you want to? <laughs> Pretty much. Go into so, a actually, bit more of that. Yeah, I'll probably give like the 60 second overview here, just so you all know if you want a more sort of in depth overview of the Electoral College, then um, there will be a, uh, another episode, probably a solo one with a more narrative sort of explanation or overview uh, of the Electoral College. And then, of course, I'll link some resources for you all, um, and you can go through those yourself. The Electoral College kind of comes down to, and it pains me to say this because, um, you know, America uniquely has so much racially charged politics. But once you get past the Constitutional Convention and the idea that smaller states need some level of equal representation, when it comes to next, particularly in the 19th and 20th century, is slavery and then sort of Jim Crow. Hate to say that, um, but in the 20th century specifically, um, it was the South that stood, you know, firmly in, in opposition for um, any change to the national popular vote um, because, you know, they were slave voting states and they received extra electoral votes be- by way of, you know, those slaves being only counted as three-fifths of a person. So if you went to a national popular vote, they would just have uh, less power, for lack of a better term, um, because they were states filled with people who weren't whole human beings, according to uh, American law. Um, we were kind of close, actually the closest we've probably ever been to a national popular vote being adopted in 69, uh, 1970, uh, where it actually had bipartisan support. Uh, I think the House even passed it. I'll double check that. Um, but since then, you know, our politics has kind of gone down the drain. We had some guy who came and railed against government and said it was the worst thing ever. And so now any idea of sort of um, any level of bipartisanship or ways in which, you know, one uh, one voice, one vote would be adapted, um, just seem a little less tenable. That is the quick and dirty. Again, we'll have some more info on that later. Uh, but I think we're going to focus a little bit more on Electoral College in context of today's contemporary politics and just sort of uh, some of the pros and cons and whatnot of that. So you kind of glossed over the history part that actually really fits into my problem. <laughs> well, I didn't know what your problem was going to be. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> articulate that um, so the Electoral College came out of, I guess, two different schools of thought. One, you know, when it was created, nobody, no country in the world directly elected their executive. 
so there was a fear of, you know, too much power and, you know, what are these, you know, rural, whatever people who don't get information um, in the late 1700s going to do? How are they going to elect this, this person to guide the nation? But it's also a balance. It was a balancing of power because, you know, as you said, there was a balancing of power throughout everything. That's how we ended up with this bicameral legislature, one based on population, one based on number of states. It was a balancing of power. And that's my problem today is this, we have a balance of power issue and it's different than it was in the late 1700s to some extent um, and taking the slavery part of it out of it because you know, not denying that that wasn't one of the reasons for the balance of power issue, but we are looking at the grander you know, 60,000 foot view of it's a balance of power issue. And today, you know, as much as I don't think the Electoral College is working, Black. Um, and I do think that it needs some sort of modification, I'm very wary about completely throwing it out and doing a straight popular vote. Hmm. Tell us more. And yeah, so that's what I said, like, you didn't know where I was going to go with this, but that's my, my issue, because <laughs> we do have a balance of power issue in this country. And it's, you know, it's, for once, I think I'm going to, you know, espouse one of the Republican talking points. It's the, you know, quote unquote, liberal coasts versus the rest of the country. And sure, there are some, you know, some outliers to this. But, you know, you have a very large concentration of people on the coasts. And I'm very wary about throwing out the electoral college because at that point all of the flyover states become flyover states for presidential you know races as well and i don't think that we can completely disregard the midwestern states the what are they the rocky states the i don't know what to call them the mountain states whatever you want to call them right And, and I'm not saying this because, I don't know, they're all Republican states because they're not. You know, you have, you know, places like Colorado that are blue. You have places like Illinois that are blue, although Illinois has Chicago. enough people it probably can hold its own. Yeah. Um, but you have these, these states where, yes, there, there aren't as many people and they're now disproportionately, you know, given electoral college votes, which I don't think are appropriate. But I'm very concerned that if we got rid of the electoral college, you know, this big swath of country is just not going to matter anymore. It's going to be a fight for, you know, New York, California, Illinois. I'm throwing away Florida at this point. Florida's dead to me. Um, but, you I'm know, back. some of these really big, you know, population centers, and it becomes very much a rural versus urban, which is not so dissimilar, actually, from the late 1700s. But it's a, you know, it's a rural versus urban divide. And I don't think we can just leave out you know half of the country anyway i'll leave i'll leave it at that and let you respond to that fred yeah yeah i mean that's uh that's an that's an interesting take uh i've seldom lost for words but uh <clears throat> i don't know i mean i think my my initial response to that i think it's probably pretty clear you expected this we we disagree here uh, <laughs> and only because not because i don't think you know folks in the Southwest or the Plains or the Midwest don't need representation. I think they do. Um, my argument there would be if you switch to a national popular vote, those people still have a disproportionate amount of representation via the Senate. 
um, if I'm correct, and I'll double check this, but I think 18% of our population elects 52 senators. Um, so there's structural things in place that are always going to allow them to have a certain level of representation. And, you know, you're not the only one that's argued. I've heard this a lot. You know, people, if we go to a national popular vote, you know, uh, general elections for the presidency will all focus on Los Angeles, Chicago, San Francisco, Houston, and New York. And, you know, in, in my mind, I'm like, is that really such a bad thing? Only because, right, Joe Biden's lead, I think, in the national popular vote has surpassed 8 million. And yet we were all up for, what, three days looking at, what, four states? <laughs> Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada, six, whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I think, like, there's something fundamentally wrong within that. Now, granted, I do think there would be something equally fundamentally wrong about everybody paying attention to New York, San Francisco, LA, and Houston, and, you know, soon to be Chicago and, and Phoenix, not soon to be Phoenix is the fast growing city in the country. Anyway, um, I don't, and I don't know if there's a, if there's a middle ground of reform here to well, to where you still get people who are understanding and conscious of the issues in like Iowa and Michigan and Ohio and Colorado, for example, when they're running for the presidency. But I do think equally, like right now, we've got a similar representation issues um, than we would with the national popular vote. I just don't know how to how to reconcile those those two things. I think your concerns really exist now. It's just we focus a lot on the Midwest and soon to be the Sun Belt in the coming electoral years instead of big cities. Yes, I quickly Googled while you were speaking, and according to the National Review, at least, that's correct. 26 states, 18% of the population, wow. you know, so that's enough senators to get past whatever they want. That's absurd. Um, yeah, so, so like I said, I don't, it's not that I'm against reforming. I, you know, I started out saying that, you know, I think it needs reform. I'm just not quite sure where it goes. Gotcha. Um, and, you know, interesting to note as well that this whole all or nothing thing Yes. was not something that's, that's not in the constitution. That's an individual state determination in 48 states made the determination that it's all or none. The two outliers being Maine and Nebraska of all places randomly right. connected, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so, right. So maybe that, I mean, maybe that's what it should be. Maybe there should be some sort of a push where, you know, it's a percentage of election electoral votes, you know? So let's say, you know, North Carolina, right. That was, pretty well split 50 50 i think it came down like maybe 45 55 percent at the mm -hmm. end of it you know instead of saying all of those electorates go to the winner now it's half and half i mean that's that's a different election as well and there's some sort of a buffer there i feel like i'm almost a founding father i should put on my white wig <laughs> uh you know trying to find compromises and you know and don't let the the will of the people overrule you know the smart the smart kids who were making the decisions um, that kind of thing. But, you know, I don't think Maine and Nebraska are wrong here, you know, and, and probably more faithfully following what the Constitution's founders actually intended. Yeah, no, I actually agree there. I think that would be a good, a good sense of reform. And I do know that was a push in the, I think the very late 60s, 70s was to push more to pro proportional allocation of electoral votes, rather than winner take all. Because right now we just end up with a system that I think, leads us to a lot of faux conclusions about where the country is. Like, for example, I think, you know, Trump won Texas, I think it was 53 to 47 or something. In a state that that's populous, that is not a huge difference. You know, people look at, oh, this person won this state by five or six points. Oh, they, you know, they took that in the landslide. That's not a lot of people. 
And so the idea that one person wins by five or five and a half, six points and takes their Texas is 52 to 46. I mean, that's like, that's, that's not, that's not a big difference. You know what I mean? Like that's 5.8 million versus 5.2 popular votes. Like there are tons of people in that state that wanted Joe Biden as president. And yet with the electoral college, they had pretty much no sense of like representation in that allocation. And so I think proportional is actually a good way to do it, mostly because we see these we see these maps and it's like, oh, you know, this place is, you know, so red or, you know, Trump won all the, and like number one, land doesn't vote, all right? So, you know, all the red and the, you know, Wyoming and Montana's and all that stuff. And what I love, you know, Wyoming's beautiful, great place. Uh, Montana is too, I know. But I think what happens is with the electoral college and then the way in which we look at maps and geography, we tend to think, oh, this place is so much more red or this is so much more, you know, blue or whatever. I think proportional is the way to go because then it actually makes people feel like their vote matters. Like as a Georgia voter, this is the first year I really felt like my vote mattered on the national scale. Granted, we ended up flipping the state, but, you know, I think that would drive turnout too. If the guy in, you know, Colorado or Wyoming or whatever knows there's proportional allocation or the woman or the non-binary person, um, you know, they can feel comfortable and they're probably more energized to vote because they know that in some way their vote is going to be mad and they're going to matter and it's going to be cast. But right now there's just no motivation behind that in some of these states. No, and I think that's exactly right. It is a form of voter suppression, you know, coming from both sides, you know, we like to peg one party in particular being the party for voter suppression. But, you know, even, you know, living in my state of Maryland, you know, we went, (laughs) yeah, six, what, 60, I have to, I'm gonna have to Google this again, 68%, I think, of Maryland's, you know, votes for um, president went to Biden, you know, so flipping it around, 65%, my mistake, that's actually less than I thought. A third of people in Maryland have no representation in this presidential process. Yeah. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm getting at. So it's not just a, you know, Republican, but like as a Republican, why bother in Maryland? You know, it's not going, you know, you know, you're not going to flip the state, you know, you're not, you're not going to do any of that. So, you know, in Maryland in particular, it tends to be, (laughs) I guess, the opposites of the country as a whole. The middle section is the blue section. The edges are the red section. So on the coast and in the mountains tend to be redder counties. So if you live in one of those places, you know, what does your vote mean for president? You know that the the middle section of the state is just going to override you on a two to one basis. You know, does that provide any motivation to you to vote? You know, so it, it does cut both ways. And, you know, it is it is a form of voter suppression to some extent. You know, a lot of people, even though a lot of people do come out just for the presidential race, regardless, you know, just to get on record for, you know, their candidate of choice. Yeah. You know, it, it, it their vote doesn't matter. I mean, frankly speaking, to be your honest, vote as right? a Republican <laughs> in Maryland does not matter for president. Yeah. I mean, it I think we always try to like sugarcoat that and make it seem like another way, but in a lot of these states, that's just facts. Um, and that's more of an indictment on the system, not on individuals or how you want to parse it. So I think it's up to us to try to change it. I mean, look, I think if we go to proportional allocation, I think that actually makes, you know, states in the plains, for example, or the Midwest, you know, we're not picking on you all, but um, more in play because like, I could imagine Joe Biden making a couple trips to a, an Indiana or a Kansas or a, even one trip yeah, so, to Wyoming. You know, Indiana was 57% Trump. 
41% Biden. Yeah. I mean, maybe he drops in Fort Wayne, Indianapolis, and, you know, West Lafayette or whatever. And Fort Wayne's pretty blue. <laughs> well, maybe skip that one. Books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but cuts into that. Chicago, but Chicago suburbs, right? Chicago suburbs in the north, the northwest of the state, Indianapolis, um, and probably, I would guess, somewhere around IU or some of the other colleges is probably the, the other blue places. Um, and sorry, my Indiana geography is not good enough to be able to tell you exactly what those particular counties would be. It's fine. I but yeah, I mean, that's, the that's the thing is, you know, pick up, pick up those votes. You know, the other question, though, is do you go on straight, pres- straight presentation? That was good. State, straight percentage, you know, so two million votes cast, one million goes to the Republican, one million goes to the Democrats, so they each get half the electorate. Or do you go by congressional district, which you know are gerrymandered all over the place? Um, you know, you know, how do you how do you work that out? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I don't know enough. Marion County is where Indianapolis is, by the way. Um, Fort Wayne's in Allen County. Trump won fifty four and a half to forty three. Um, I don't like congressional. Yeah, I'm just districts. I'm looking at the map. There's some random blue counties, and I just don't know what they are. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, 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 that makes sense. Um, I think all the blue spots actually have college towns. Um, I mean, that's what I expected. Aside from Indianapolis, uh, which I'm sure, no, there is college. Anyway, we're getting off the rails here. Um, I think, I don't think you can do a congressional district because of gerrymandering. If you have every state that adopts, you know, an independent panel, then maybe, um, and I'm not, you know, a mathematician, so I'm not sure how this would work out. But for the example, like you mentioned, Trump won Indiana 57 to 41. Like I could see, you know, Joe Biden going to Gary, Indiana and, you know, Fort Wayne a couple of times during the election and trying to cut Trump's margin there to maybe 54, you know, and because then you get the you get the truth that, you know, cutting into some of these margins in states can really help you. And so, like, I could definitely see Trump going to like McAllen, Texas or Fort Worth, Texas. Right. Like I need to cut into biden's margin here in order to potentially give myself more you just get more representative politics and whenever you get more representative politics you get more representative government particularly in policy if you've got to go make a case to people in uh, fort wayne or uh, you know um covington louisiana whatever it is places you normally wouldn't have to but those like suburban areas kansas city nice and blue kansas city kansas city both in kansas and missouri right so then you get two states there as well you know it's just one it's just a better you know, way to go about things. So I think we're both in in inclusion there. And I think Richard Nixon in like 1960 made this pledge to go to all 50 states and he did. And in retrospect, historians kill him for that. And I think we've never, and look, you know, you also know I'm not a Tricky Dick fan. We could, that's different rant to go on, which I haven't gone on, which one of these weeks I will. Um, give us time, give us time. <laughs> but, um, but he gets railed for that historically and he should, but I don't think we've taken a look at that enough and said, why do we have a system that discourages a presidential candidate from going to all 50 states? Like no one's ever really looked at what he did in 1960 and questioned, you know, why is that something that historians rail against from a campaign perspective? And I think that's one of the greater sort of deficiencies. Oh, yeah, from a campaign process. perspective, it makes no sense whatsoever. No. I mean, the whole game is pick up the votes that you can pick up and only certain states matter. Right. Like yeah. if you're a Democratic candidate, you don't really campaign in New York or California. You do for money. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're not to do, doing it to pick up votes. You don't campaign in Maryland to pick up votes because you already know that those states are yours. You know, so it, to that to that extent, how much do you actually know what the people of those states want? You don't. You know, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so, you know, it's the concentration. So, you know, currently in the electoral college process, we're focusing on the wants and needs of the swing states, Florida, mm-hmm. North Carolina, Ohio. Um, although I'm not sure why we consider Ohio to be a swing state anymore either. That was That's gone. Eh, I mean, it's not terrible. It's 53 to 45, but you know, Pennsylvania, you know, there's those states where, you know, the vote is going to be close. You know, and then you look at New York with a 60% Biden, you know, why bother? You know, either candidate going there, we already know which way it's going to go. Yeah. So, no. you know, we're electing presidents who are playing, almost playing to the middle as well. So I wonder if we switched the mm-hmm. the way that we did it, whether we would get some more progressive candidates or conversely get some real right wing candidates, although we can we could also say we've just done four years of that so you know apparently that can that can happen in the current system as well but you know i mean it's it's a way to get you know off of the center line yeah i mean i think i would like to hope if we've got a more proportional allocation of electoral votes then you end up with candidates who have to moderate their stances not to this hypothetical doesn't really exist swing voter but to you know, a group of people in a block of folks who might legitimately care passionately about a couple issues and then have the political will and capital to follow through on that from a governmental and policy standpoint. So right now it's just about like presenting rhetoric and spending a crap ton of money to, you know, politics is the presidential elections at least, it's a turnout game right now. You know, can I turn out people who more align with my party in this hyper-partisan time? And granted, like, you know, a lot of this isn't the first time we've been this partisan divided. So like, you know, I think people, that's a nice trope on like podcasts or television stations that just isn't true. Um, but this is one of the, this is not one of the, this is the first time where we've been this hyper-partisan divided and we've also not had one source of news and or facts. It's one thing to be, you know, very divided as a nation across geography and politics. And then everyone watches David Brinkley or Walter Cronkite or Edmund Murrow in the evening. It's another thing to be this divided across all spectrums. And, you know, people on the right watch OAN and Breitbart. And then people on the left, you know, watch MSNBC. And, you know, like there's no central focus point of, all right, we might disagree but this, this new source here, these are the unequivocal facts. Now, we can talk about it and make our own decisions from there. And I think that's where a lot of the issue comes in. I think this is an impetus really even more to do proportional allocation of the Electoral College. Because as long as we've got a winner-take-all system where you know the parties within that system continue to go further apart, and there's really not a viable path right now, honestly, in the digital age to sort of bring any of those folks back to a sense of normalcy and fact-checking, I think we run into this sense and the opportunity of like, we're going to keep getting pres- viable presidential candidates who are on the extreme wings of both parties. And I don't know if that's good for representative democracy as a whole. Yeah, where's the easy answer to all of this? <laughs> um, I mean, it's presented. Oh, it's just so easy, you know. Throw out the throw out the electoral college; it'll be perfect. Yeah, you know, it's nuance. <laughs> I mean, that's what's wrong in our society. We don't do nuance. Everything is a clip. It's like one and a half minutes or a tweet, or it's just there's nuance to all this stuff. It's like you can't. Yes, do I think we should get rid of the electoral college? Personally, I think yes, but. I also acknowledge what is the replacement? What is the solution? 
What are the consequences to that? And, you know, we don't create spaces, not even create spaces, because we do create spaces. It's not encouraged or people don't have the political will to actually have the nuanced conversations of like, how do we reform this and how do we push for reform? And I don't know if there's a way out. There is a way out of that. I just don't know what it is. Well, maybe the maybe the next conversation, part two to this is how do we actually effectuate change? Because who's actually going to give up their their electoral votes? You know, it sounds great to Democrats. Oh, yeah, if Texas does it, you know, we'll do it. You know, but they're not going to give up their votes in Maryland. No, (laughs) it's got to. I mean, this is the hyper individualism of America. Like there's no collective sense of you know, the person next to you doing what you think is better for the country. It's all about, I mean, we're seeing that with COVID, right? Like, I don't want to wear a mask, it infringes on my rights. I'm like, there's never been a deeper, <clears throat> there's never been, I think, a more like humane, simple solution to something for other people that folks are invoking politics or anyway, that's a different conversation. Um, I don't know. America's a failed state right now. Um Anyways, <laughs> it's got a long way to go, but I know somebody's going to pull up this clip when I run for office and like, yeah, I said it, you know, I mean, you, you can, when you, when you love a place and you invest a lot into it, you know, we need to get rid of this notion that criticizing it is somehow a negative assertion and that you aren't, you know, a patriot or American because you criticize it. And like electoral college is one of many things I think right now, this states and that speaks to like, Hey, this is a failed state. And maybe it wasn't an issue in 19, you know, 68 or 64 or whatever. Uh, but it very clearly is now. I mean, we got a lot of structural issues in this country. And maybe we should, you know, spend a few weeks talking about that. The electoral college is, you know, one of them, and we'll come back to this. But I mean, they're deep, like deep structural, sociological, economic issues in this country in a way that I don't think have existed since like the 20s. And you know, you know what happened in the late 20s and the 30s. So <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's all, it's all just kind of built on it, on itself, you know, so it's not even, you know, oh, it's so much worse than the twenties or, you know, the twenties were so much worse, you know, whatever it is, it's, we never fixed those issues. Yeah. We never actually sat down and went, we have issues here, you know, (laughs) we need to take care of them. We never did that. So it's, I don't think you can bifurcate them. No, I agree. Um, I think we might have gotten on a path to fixing them in the Roosevelt administration. And then, you know, 40 years later, those same folks who, you know, built lives and um, fortunes on the greatest redistribution of wealth in American history, backed by the government, turned around and, you know, idolized the guy who said government is the problem. So different conversation. Uh, (laughs) But you've got to run. And we can talk about this all day. And it's going to be good to do a follow-up episode next week to the Electoral College. Now, we are going to take a little break for the holidays. So next week will be the last episode of the year. Um, But thank you all for joining us. Be sure to share this wonderful uh, podcast with your friends. And we'll be back next week with with some more conversation on the Electoral College. Becca, you'd be great. Have a fantastic weekend. I know you deserve I'll it. Just, I'm just going to try a dot freeze. That, that's really <laughs> all I'm trying to do here. Oh, this is the base.